So about 14 or 15 years ago, when our church was young and we were meeting in a school, a young lady in our church asked me, Pastor, would you preach if no one showed up? And I said, well, if one showed up, I would. And that person, I imagine, is joining us this morning. Um, we've had a bunch more people join us over the years. But it's a strange experience preaching in a relatively empty sanctuary. I have just a few people here helping me out. Um, but I will preach, and I hope people will join us and benefit. It's a strange moment in history. It's a scary moment in history for many. It's uncertainty, it's confusion, it's hysteria. We're going to take a step outside of our uh, trip through Luke, which we'll resume next week, God willing, and we will get into this question of how does the gospel apply to our current moment? And I thought we would go to Joshua. We'll take a trip through the beginning of Joshua, a short trip, I doubt I'll make 48 minutes with no reciprocity from people here today. Uh, if you could yell through the, the webcam, that would probably help me out. As many of you know, I'm not a quiet, passive, stationary preacher. Joshua 1, the Lord commissions Joshua. And three times at the beginning of chapter 1, in verses 6 through, 6 through 9, he tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you, verse 9, to be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the, the Jews are preparing to enter the promised land. There's fear and anxiety and trepidation. And the Lord commands Joshua and his people to not be afraid. And the reason is, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 2, we get the story of Rahab and the spies. Rahab comes back in 6, and in Joshua 3, they're about to go in, and Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Now hang on a minute. Verse 2. At the end of three days, sitting at the edge of a raging, rapid, flood-stage river, three days, thinking they would cross, but how? Could you imagine, if you were looking at your kids, your livestock, your possessions, thinking, how are we going to get across? I imagine there was contingency planning. We'll make a tunnel. We'll make a bridge. We'll, we'll build us some boats. We'll swim. We'll go another way. We'll figure it out. And people spoke and had ideas. And, 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 and I imagine some, if we're honest, similar to today's time, as you don't know what's coming and don't know how it plays out, you wonder what you should do and how to handle it. And you might ask if you allow fear to creep in, did God forget about them? Did God really love them? Did God make a mistake? But what happened? Well, there shall be a distance, verse 4, between you and it, the ark, about 2,000 cubits in length. Don't come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, 
take up the ark before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Flood stage over the bank Jordan River. Stuff flying down, logs, wood, rocks, flood stage. I'm adding that in. Don't try to follow that part in your Bible. Verse 12. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the flowing, and the waters coming down above shall stand in one heap. Can I ask you a question? My, my, my notes say, who would have thought of that? But my brain says, who to thunk? If I was going to title this message, it'd be who to thunk. Who to thunk that God would stop a river at Fledgestead way back up at Adam, giving him dry land to walk through? Who would have come up with that plan? And the Bible is a story of who to thunks. From Eden, to Babel, to the flood, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the ruddy little shepherd boy, through the kings that God said, don't get them, but I'll use them, through the prophets, to a little baby named Jesus who was born to die so that he might rise and live. Who'd have thunk? And our problem is, we think we know. But as the rock would say, well, we'll leave that for another time. We try to figure out how to problem solve, but God entered the world to solve the problems. You know the biggest problem the world has, the scariest, biggest thing out there? Anyone know? No one can respond. So Mia, if you're listening, I hope that you say, how do you know? The biggest, scariest thing there is in the world is sin. Our sin before a perfect and holy God. Sin is not primarily what you do wrong, it's that you're born wrong. And what do I mean by that? No one is born loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving their neighbor as themselves. We're all born in on ourselves, loving ourselves, and here's the problem. No one who is sinful can dwell with God, and God is holy and just, and he deals with all sin, and we are dead in our sin, helpless in our sin, condemned in our sin, and how can we fix this? What are you going to do about it? But God, who stops rivers, but God, who raises the dead, but God, who uses what is weak, that God saves, justifies, adopts, and recreates because he is both just and the justifier. And the world is broken under the effects of sin, but God came into the world to fix the broken and make all things new again, even in scary times. You see, fear, scariness, results from the fact that you realize you have no control over anything. We live with the illusion of control, and we feel good with the illusion of control, but when we realize we have no control, we get fearful. Or maybe you get angry. You don't like the word fear. Same thing. 
But that leads to a question. What, what does this have to do with today? Where is the comfort? Where is the hope? Well, who is this God? This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Well, listen to this. If you go to Psalm 56, it says in Psalm 56, if I can get there, verse 11, well, we'll, we'll go past that. We'll go, we'll go a little longer. Verse 10 says, In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? If you go up a little further to verse 3, it says, when, notice that word when, in, in, the, in the Greek, the literal translation is when. That was a joke, no one will laugh in here, that's hard for me. When, not if, when, not if, when, I'll say again, not if I am afraid, but when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in who? In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You have no control over anything, but God has perfect control over everything, and our joy is knowing God as those saved by God, reconciled to God, forgiven by God, adopted by God, who God commands to call Father, knowing that that God, who's in control of everything, will care for us perfectly as a perfect Father. The cure to scary is to trust in God for forgiveness from sin, for new life in Christ, for peace with God, for a realization that in a world at a time that's scary because it's unknown, we, we don't know. Is it, is it overhyped, underhyped? We don't know, but it doesn't matter because God does. And as we trust in God and we realize that God knows exactly what he's doing, as we know who God is and who we are in Christ and the commands and promises of God, well, that fear goes away. Joshua 4, they crossed over just as God said, and God commanded them to go into the river and take 12 stones, verse 3, from here in the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and to bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So Joshua called 12 men from the people who he'd appointed, and he said, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, not a pebble, a stone, according to the number of the tribes of the people, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, What do those stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel memorial forever. My friends, do you have memorials established in your mind of the faithfulness of God, of the grace of God, of the provisions of God for all the times you in your head thought, what are we going to do? And God showed up. Maybe you haven't trusted in Christ. Do you see the provision of grace in God that he gives you air to breathe and lungs to breathe it? 
that he feeds you, that rain comes down upon you, that he gives you so many good things by common grace, that he hasn't poured his wrath on you who have denied him and committed adultery spiritually before him, but he offers forgiveness to you? Have you seen the grace and goodness and provision and mercy of God? Well, in a scary time where you may realize you finally have no control, Turn to him, trust in him, confess to him, God, I don't love you. God, I don't want to serve you. God, I want you to serve me, and I know that means I stand condemned. Forgive me, help me, cause me to be born anew. And he will. And you will know the one who controls everything. Perhaps you've trusted in Christ a long time ago, but we quickly forget. When things don't go our way, we become fearful. Well, may I encourage you to establish memorials. May I encourage you to read the Word of God and see the the cadence of the flow of Scripture where it's a constant question of what's he going to do? I think of the apostles as we came to Easter, as we come to Easter in not too long. And this guy, Jesus, who attested to be God, died on a cross, and they stuck him in a tomb. Who'd have thought of that one? We thought it was him, but he died. And fear set in for three days. But after three days, you can think about that in the Joshua passage. I'll let you do the legwork. After three days, he rose. Who'd have thunk? And he ascended. Who'd have thunk? And he said he'll return. Who'd have thunk? And he causes people to be born anew. Who'd have thunk? So as we live in scary times, don't go to social media for your info, primarily. Don't go to the news for your info, primarily. Go to the author and perfecter of your faith. Go to the one who is truth. Go to the proven word of God and ask the question, who'd have thunk? For perhaps one reason that God allows our present circumstances to happen is to remind us that we have no control over anything, but he has all control. Now some of you who are maybe over the age of 30 know a song that I enjoy called Stand By Me. Doom, do, 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 doom. I'm not going to sing it. You can look up the lyrics. But I got a better version in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So what do these 
scary times do for us? How does God speak into these scary times? What does the gospel have to do with it? My friends, if you think these times are scary, to fall into the hands of an angry God as his enemy, to steal a Jonathan Edwards paraphrase, is far scarier. And if God had a way to cause sinful people to become righteous, to adopt us as his children, if we have been saved by his death, how much more can we trust in a risen living Savior? Next week, we're going to be in Luke 11, 4, finishing up our trip through the Lord's Prayer. And it's a wonderful pivot. Maybe I'll preach it today if you want to have a three-hour live stream. We're not going to do that. But as we get into Luke 11 next week, you'll see the aspect of the Lord's Prayer we're in is forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I, I would encourage you to join us next week for that because this unpacks so much of the joy to be had in uncertain times as we know God truly. But for those of us who are saved, and this is the offer to those who will trust in Christ, trust God in what he calls you to. Know his word. Know the God behind the word. Know your identity in Christ and simply trust him. Don't, don't trust primarily what other people tell you. Yeah, you know, I heard the stores were out of food. It's not coming in and Ten minutes later, I see a picture of an empty grocery store, people-wise, full shelves. How do you know what's what? Well, God's word is always true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Trust God in what he calls you to today. Love others by considering their interests ahead of your own. The reason our sanctuary is empty should be primarily out of love for others and submitting to the governing authorities. Not, not we're going to dig a bunker, though in the flesh that's my preference to, to, well, conversation for another time, huh? It's an opportunity to love others, to, to put others' interests ahead of yourself, to not, to not live a life of, well, I'm fine, I'll get me mine, but because you are fine in Christ, being able to freely love and give to others even what is yours. And lastly, no God is totally and perfectly in control and everything is going according to his plan. You know, if you're familiar with scripture, you know that there's a, a gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, the, um, not many people know this, but in the way the Bible is set up, the last prophet was an Italian prophet named Malachi. His name was Malachi, he was Jewish. But there's a, a time gap between Malachi and Matthew, roughly 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period. And for 400 years, God did not speak. No prophet spoke the word of God. The Shekinah glory of God had left the temple, and he was not dwelling with his people. And for 400 years, it seemed silent, and I wonder how many people thought, where'd he go? Did he forget? Are his promises not true? And then one day there were these shepherds in a field, and the angels appeared to them by night. And if you read the text in Luke 2 carefully, it says, the glory of the Lord shone 
And that's the Shekinah glory of God that left the temple in Ezekiel and now is back, but it's back in the incarnate Christ. My friends, sometimes it's three days, sometimes it's 400 years, but all the time, our job isn't to corner God and have him explain himself to us. Our job is to trust in God, a good, gracious, kind, perfect, heavenly Father. So as you join us today, or maybe as you listen later, perhaps you're afraid. Now let me say this. Maybe this is my last point. We're getting close. There's a, a caricature of a Christian that is so wrong, I don't even think it's really Christian, that a Christian person fears nothing. You just stoically set your face like flint to the wind, like, and you just go. See, that's not bravery, that's stupidity or apathy. That's someone that doesn't care. It, it, it creeps close to scary places. Bravery is not the absence of fear. Bravery is trusting God through your fear that his word is true. Said another way, it's living by faith. Faith is not wishy-washy, hoping and comforting lies. Oh, so-and-so is in a better place. How do you know? Well, I know that God loves me. Well, how do you know? Well, to me, God is a God of love. Well, how do you know? You see, faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's, it's living in light of proven, trustable evidence, despite what your fallen, messed up mind may think. And so a Christian is one who looks at circumstances and says, maybe they come to a river at flood stage, and they say, I know God got me here. I know God told me I'm crossing. I don't see how it works, but now... I get to choose, am I going to freak out and live by contingency planning? Am I going to run away? Or am I going to sit back for a moment? And am I going to simply rejoice by asking the question, who would have thought of that one? And as we see God act, we establish memorials of remembrance. Perhaps today you wake up and, and you're riddled with depression, anxiety, Debt, relational problems. You going to figure it out? Or are you going to trust God in light of who he is and who you are to see how he acts? My friends, that is the joy of walking with Christ. That is the difficulty of walking with Christ because it is impossible to walk with Christ apart from faith. But we receive that gift of faith. And we don't impress God by trusting him because you can't trust him on your own. We don't earn his favor by trusting him. We trust him because we have earned his favor through the finished work of Christ. See, here's the kicker. You could have swine flu, avian flu, MRSA, SARS, Ebola, coronavirus. Who knows what's next? But they're all a result of the fall. They're all a result of the fact this world is broken and we're born broken. Now watch this. Jesus came not to be an example. Jesus came to be an atoning sacrifice, a savior, a redeemer, and a friend. He is the, the Paschal lamb. He is the, 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 the Exodus blood lamb. He is the Christ, and here's what he did. He lived a perfect life from a perfect heart of a trusting obedience to God the Father, and that was required of us. 
He died the death we deserve, taking the wrath of God upon himself on the cross. And he rose from the dead, and here's what he offers, is new life in him, so we have, we have accomplished what God requires. It's called imputed righteousness. We are made new and justified. We live a new life, a resurrection life, where God dwells in us. And if you are saved, you know what I'm talking about, because there's a little, little tiny grain of sand inside of you that kind of wants to trust in God and pulls it off sometimes. And it grows little by little by little. And here's the joy. The better we know God, the better we understand who God has made us in Christ, the better we understand how much God not only loves us, but loves all people and desires none should be lost, but all should be saved, the greater the joy in trusting in him. So today, as I preach in a relatively empty sanctuary, I am thankful that it's not the proximity to the preacher that saves or sanctifies. It is the power of the word of God. And who to thunk, even if you go back 10 years, that if y'all had to stay home, we'd have technology to allow us to gather for a week or two. Who to thunk? And who to thunk with everything going, well, I know who to thunk. His name is God. And he's in control. And he's mighty. He's powerful. He's sovereign, he's kind, he's gracious, he's a comforter, he's a friend. He came to seek and save that which is lost. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. So, what does the gospel have to do with today? Everything. What does the gospel have to do with tomorrow? Everything. What does the gospel have to do with you? Everything. Turn to God and be saved all the ends of the earth. He says, for I am God and there is no other. The news may look scary, but there is nothing more frightening than to fall into the hands of God who is a consuming fire. You might, you might check out Psalm 5 and Psalm 7 later this afternoon and see how God looks upon people who live as enemies of his, who, who just huh, give him the look and say, mind your business. But then look more fully through the holiness of God and see the grace and mercy of God that he would love us so much that he would die to save us. Paul Washer, I believe it is, sums up the gospel. and God saves us by himself, from himself, here's a kicker, for himself, or we could even say to himself. He delights in spending eternity as a father with his children. Turn to him, trust in him. For those who have, continue to trust in him. This God, his way is perfect. He knows what he's doing. We will have an opportunity to pull a stone, place it down, and look back at this time, perhaps in the not-too-distant future, and say, wow, he knew what he was doing. Adam and Eve sinned. Who'd have thunk? The people built the tower. Who'd have thunk God would do that? Noah built an ark. Who'd have thunk? Abraham was called. Who'd have thunk? Isaac? Jacob? Who'd have thunk? David? Who'd have thunk God would use that to do that? All through Scripture. So as we look at today, who'd have thunk? He'd have thunk. He is God. Let me close with uh, 
prayer, benediction, and then we'll have a song on the piano to take us out. Would you pray with us? Father, we thank you in these scary times that you are a fortress, rock. We thank you that while we call them scary, you do not. I think of the disciples in the boat with Jesus screaming, there's a storm, we're all going to die, and he was sleeping in the boat. Not in different sleep, but the exhausted sleep of the God-man, truly God and truly man. And he wakes up and he says, guys, where's your faith? Another time on the water, Lord, I think of Peter walking to you, Jesus. And as he sinks down, your question is not a berating question. It's a loving, tender question. Where's your faith? I think of your walk with Peter on the beach, end of John, after he had denied you three times. Where's your faith? I think of all the times throughout Scripture the question is asked to your people, where is your faith? And what you're saying to us, God, is you have it, take it out and use it. Lord, help us by your power to use this gift of faith, which we use by hearing from you through your word, trusting in you by your power, and following you for your glory. Lord, remind us afresh and anew of who you are, and either who we are apart from you, through which, Holy Spirit, I pray you would convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment, letting them know the world. Ain't that scary compared to coming into the presence of God apart from the, the salvation of Christ? And for those of us who are in you, Lord, help us to understand who we were, enemies, who we are, friends, and how we became such, grace through faith. Not because we're good people, on the contrary, we couldn't be worse people apart from your, your common grace of restraint, but reminding us that we had nothing to offer you but our sin, and only to Christ we can cling. Lord God, remind us of your love for us, remind us of our identity in you, remind us even of how you see us in light of who you truly are so we might see you in truth. Lord God, when we are afraid, Help us to trust in you, in God whose word we praise. In you, God, we trust. We shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Father, help us for your glory. Father, comfort us in your truth. Father, thank you for your salvation. And thank you, Lord, that you are exactly who you say you are and that we are who you say we are in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'll close with a um, benediction from number six, and this would be the same benediction that the priest would use all throughout uh, the time of the Old Testament. And the benediction in number six is found in verses 24. And it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I pray the Lord would do that. I pray that you might come back and join us again next week as we go into Luke 11, verse 1 through 4. For our church family, keep a lookout for emails and updates and things going on. There are no formal church activities for the next two weeks. The, the building's closed. Uh, midweek Thoughts will be back for those of you who are joining in. Um, you can check the 
church website, a midweek thought is a, a weekly email that comes out with a thought to help us um, be encouraged in the light of just our regular life circumstances. And next Sunday, we'll be here again, God willing, to look at Luke 11, 1 through 4. Trust in God. He is good. Amen.